You're listening to The Reality Show, hosted by Dan Rutstein, president of immersive tech company, Laduma. Each episode delves deep into the power and potential of immersive technology in business, entertainment, or sport, now and in the future. So welcome back to another episode of The Reality Show. Slight departure this time. We're not really talking with somebody who is part of an immersive tech company, but somebody who plays more broadly across the storytelling and innovation space. The man I have sitting opposite me is known as the king of social. Um, Tim Hyde, do you want to explain how that came about? Um, yes, certainly wouldn't refer to myself as the king of social, but um, last week um, I, there was a news article on the front page of the paper calling me the king of social. Um, that came about because I was just named as one of campaign uh, magazines 30 under 30. Uh, I've been uh, you know, on a few different 30 under 30 lists and um, that has all built up to being given that title, which I would never be able to say. No, I mean, I, I love all these king of titles, but... Um... Obviously, to be included in all these lists and so on, you must have done something quite special. So tell me a little bit about how you get onto these lists in terms of your background and what you know about this world. Um, yeah, so um, I am ex-Lad Bible and Social Chain, um, which is sort of a, now the biggest social media marketing agency in Europe. Um, we're sort of super fortunate to be surrounded by some you know, incredible entrepreneurs and people who've utilised social media and technology to you know, really influence people. Um, uh, and yeah, from there, you know, I've been able to sort of leverage my understanding of social media, of people and how to kind of influence those people to drive them towards sort of purchase decision. Um, you know, works with brands all over the world on different sizes of projects, you know, very passionate about kind of integrating um, the kind of media journey and creating sort of lots of different touch points with people. And I think that's one of the, you know, exciting things about immersive technologies. You know, you're really able to sort of evoke that, you know, next layer and next level of emotion in people when you're showing them something that's, you know, completely revolutionary and something that they've not you know, responded to before. So uh, speaking as somebody who hasn't been under 30 for a not insignificant period of time, I think in the old days, if you were in to winning awards in the PR world was the reserve of people over the age of 30 because those techniques are years of experience. So the world has moved on in terms of immediacy of message and obviously a lot of young people are doing incredible things in this space. So tell me a bit about what it's like working in this fast-paced world where there is so much content and how you can fight for eyeballs. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's a massive motivator that um, there is, you know, first movers advantage. And I think um, a lot of people that have specifically been able to sort of leverage social media have always, you know, followed a specific framework, um, specifically, you know, testing new things, specifically when platforms launch, you know, a new product, whether that be live, whether that be specific stickers or hashtags, things like that, you know, you do get um, sort of heightened advantage in that algorithm. And that therefore gives those people that are willing to take those risks and put themselves out there uh, an advantage. I'd say, you know, from an immersive technology standpoint, um, it, it's such an exciting time that, um, you know, the difference in internet speeds is going to have a huge, huge difference on, um, you know, the, uh, the integration of AR and VR activations for, for media companies and, and for brands all over the world. And um, I think it, it, it's just an exciting time to be, you know, aligned with companies that are testing the boundaries because, uh, whether that's um, reward from a brand awareness standpoint or a reward from actually driving acquisition, you know, those opportunities are really there at the moment. So 
how do you win in the very competitive world of immersive tech and digital marketing? What I'm going to ask you from specific examples in a moment, but more what are the sort of themes that make you stand out? Um, I'm a huge believer that you know you have to put yourself in that best position to be successful. I think there's lots of different case studies and examples of people doing things very well, and there's you know lots and lots of reasons why that's worked for them. You know, one of those things is you know first move move is advantage. One of those things is having a specific tone of voice and a specific take on a subject. You know, you look at news outlets specifically on Twitter. We've now moved away from you know just being able to state that a transfer has happened in the football world. It's actually you know what is that specific take you're having on that subject and adding that value. And I'm just a huge believer that you know good content is good content and that. Um, can translate across any social and digital channel if you know you understand that audience you understand what kind of clear tone of voice you have and you understand um, how to create emotion from that user that's kind of the framework of how you're going to win and, and kind of doubling down on you know making people feel something whether that's laugh cry you know get angry you know have a controversial take that's such a powerful way to kind of at least transform any of the, the platform algorithm um, you know barriers that, that you may face. So, so give me an example. Um, I think, um, for example, uh, specifically in the social media world, um, a lot of people get caught up with um, social first content. You know, for me, social first content specifically means that you know it has early impact. It's got the the right specific dimensions. You would always talk about leveraging video content because that um, has sort of typically 135% more reach um, in at least Facebook's algorithm compared to an image anyway. So you sort of do all these things to put yourself in that strong position. But then at the end of the day, you know, people are very romantic specifically about content and specifically about, you know, immersive technology that their vision is the right thing to do. But at the end of the day, it really depends on how that audience responds to that content. And so it's super important to sort of test something, learn from that, and then keep iterating and keep improving constantly. So uh, have you seen any immersive tech examples that you're particularly impressed with? Um, I think, you know, I think there's some great projection stuff out there. I think from an immersive technology um, standpoint, um, a lot of sort of high-end um, watch brands are doing some really cool stuff. Obviously, with higher ticket items, they can invest more in, um, you know, the marketing of those products. So, Jaeger Le Couture, uh, in their stores or on their road shows and trade shows at the moment, they've got this kind of, like, stand where you can put your wrist under, basically, uh, a glass screen and it will project a um, watch onto your wrist. Now, you know, that's kind of a quirky little bit of tech, which is quite nice, you know, it's something different for people, cool, but then when you kind of actually think on a logistical basis, these watches are thousands and thousands of pounds, um, there's insurance problems with these, you know, there's specifically a lot of them very rare, and so, um, you know, there aren't that many assets, and the use of technology is able to actually solve a lot of these problems, and I think that's something that's really interesting, not just this sort of gimmicky AR, VR, immersive technologies, cool we tick the box it's actually how um is ar and vr and immersive technology solving solutions and actually either driving people to a, an end destination you know data capture or actually you know being able to solve a problem that that you haven't been able to solve before so um there's a balance between sort of immersive tech experiences for the the users there whether they're being a specific event or they're being some cool ar thing they can do at home and the ability to also then share that with other people. Is the balance now shifting towards the sharing being more important in the moment, do you think? 
Oh, I, I mean, I suppose it depends. Uh, if, if you're going to look at the data, you know, I think Snapchat last quarter had its best growth since its early years simply because they created an AR filter that made, you know, people want to re-download the app or, you know, for users that they were never able to communicate with before, you know, utilize literally this one filter and they were actually going out there and, and downloading Snapchat for their sole purpose, which is kind of amazing. To which think. was the filter? It was sort of an old, um, it was a, um, not the, the Russian sort of old person filter, but there was a, a kind of like, um, there was, there was a couple of different like, um, female to male kind of filters okay. that completely changed your face and, and, and what people look like and you know people flocked to that as a platform literally just to sort of use this AR tech which you know which is, which is really exciting and shows that there is you know an appetite for consumers to, to you know, consume this type of content but I think it's interesting for me is you know I think um, from a brand perspective we're you know, we're past the point of this is a gimmicky thing that we've got some budget for. You know, how is this utilized in your marketing mix to, you know, again, translate to we're either generating mass awareness because it's so cool that more people are going to talk about it and you're going to get those inherent conversations. Or is it a thing that is then going to influence something because they're so engaged with this activation that therefore they are more likely to purchase from that brand or service? Yeah. So you touched on data. So let's, let's talk about data. How much, so how important is data now? I mean, incredibly. I think, you know, data has, has always been extremely important. It's just we have access to more of it. Um, you know, I think specifically in the kind of social and digital space, you can get too caught up in, in the numbers and, and not also gauge, you know, things like sentiment analysis that, you know, have um, kind of actually paint more of the picture. Um, we speak a, a lot to people about the fact that you know when it comes to data, people want you know a number that is finite, so nine means nine. Whereas across social and digital, nine kind of means twelve because there's a lot of these different platforms have um, you know it's the same data but it looks completely different. You know your metrics across Facebook and Instagram will be different. Your metrics based on you know Shopify compared to Google Analytics will be completely different numbers. And instead of being able to go right, we had this many clicks here. You kind of have to take a step back and look at holistically all of the data from the different platforms and really sort of paint a picture of what the kind of data is telling you rather than, again, as we want to be data analysis, understand that nine means nine. Yeah. So, see, another thing you touched on uh, was the, the, as you called it, the, the Russian, the Russian yes. face app. So, um, let's talk about that. So, in a way, when that came out... Yep. There was an immediate rush of everyone getting super excited about it. Again, yep. FOMO, fear of missing out. You know, it, it's a funny thing. It's you know, it takes two seconds to download. You can be part of that conversation. So you know, that's why it did. You know, that's really when you can use the term viral. Yeah, um, it's a small version of Pokemon Go in terms of yes. AR yep. because it was a whole. You know, it's it's a face filter, but it is is augmented reality, um, and everybody bought into it immediately. So. The Welsh rugby team did a yeah. what do our players like even Piers Morgan did it uh, so everyone was getting super excited about it and then you know maybe it was the next day the stories came out about who ran this and what people are doing with your data and how they're using it what should, should we be worried excited is there going to be a lot more of this to come how, you know tell me how you feel about all of this um you know I, I think i can go out on a limb and, and and you know put across my sort of personal opinion um you know for me depending on what data you give people i think it actually empowers 
you as a user improves your experience. You know, the reason why Spotify and the reason why Netflix have been so, so dominant is because they utilize your data to give you a better experience. You know, you could have your best friend in the world and if you go on their Netflix account and compare it to what's on your home screen, they are completely different things. You might even have very similar interests, but that their algorithms, them using all this data based on what you watch, tailors that experience to you. So I think, you know, sharing specific parts of your data actually enhances people's experiences. And I think that's, you know, a very positive thing. However, as a culture, specifically in the UK, in the US, we, we, you know, we hear data and we go, oh no, someone's got my data, and they, they feel like it's your credit card details. These companies don't have your credit card details saved. You know, they just have you know, specific data points which allow them to target you on multiple different fronts. Um, sometimes you could argue that you don't want that, and, and I do think you have the right to be able to say that, no, I do not want to be targeted. However, at the same time, for me, you know, my online experience is curated based on the people I follow, um, my digital experience is, is tailored on the things that I'm searching, that I'm you know, buying, and specifically on a, a music and discovery standpoint, my Spotify and, and Apple Music playlists are completely tailored on the things that I like, which I think enhances my life. Whereas, you know, people just inherently go, oh no, like I don't want them to have my data and, and kind of shut down too quickly. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, I guess to a certain extent, this is a generational thing. So, you know, my parents would Google, you know, holiday cottage in Lake District and then call me up the next day and said you'll never guess what you know I searched on Google and then the next day a banner ad appeared for a holiday cottage in the Lake District to which my answer was well that's good because you're looking for a holiday cottage in the Lake District and there might be a special offer um, I know people who so older people I think think that way younger people will deliberately go onto an online shopping cart put things in the basket, then take them out of the basket, wait a couple of days, and they'll come back and there'll be some discount on those things that you didn't buy. And they're doing that deliberately. So I think you're right. The US and UK have got an obsession with data privacy and so on. But as a, you're under 30, as a millennial, if that's what we have to call you, you're comfortable with sharing of data to enhance your experience. I personally am. You know, I've got friends that are younger, older, that, you know, absolutely aren't. And, you know, they, they, kind of want their internet space to be a safe haven which you know I would argue it's never going to be and again for me it's all about how I can improve my quality of life and my quality of experience and you know giving these platforms better data to you know do that for me that is you know a victory for me but I you know I also definitely understand that people do want you know their privacy um, and I definitely think it is a generational thing you know e Although obviously I'm, you know, very wrapped up in the you know social media advertising industry, and I understand you know how to get kind of data out of people and what you know interest-based targeting or geographical targeting things like that. You know, people are still super surprised that people even advertise on social media. They go, "What? There's ads on?" And you know, they understand there's ads on Facebook, but they don't understand that that's actually people running them. They kind of think it's you know very similar to sort of programmatic, where it's sort of one size fits all um, retargeting. So. You know, I think as generations become more educated, people will understand, you know, why they're being targeted. And to be honest, it'll become much more difficult for advertisers because similar to billboards, people will get used to them and start ignoring them. Yeah. So what platform, and I hope you're not going to name one that I've actually never heard of because that would really date me, but what platform is the best one when you're talking to a client about their brand and maybe doing sort of digital marketing 
where where are they trying to go? Where should they go? I mean, it depends what their goals are. Um, and so it's always super important that, you know, um, from a business perspective, you need to have your business objectives that then filters down to your communication objectives and then the role of social and digital. And so, you know, typically nine out of 10 businesses are going to be focused on, you know, making themselves more money. You know, marketing is, is usually an investment to actually make more money, um, which I think is, you know, important to set out at the start. I think you know the ability to build a, an audience, build a community, and, and actually drive acquisition. Facebook and Instagram is still by far the best flat platform in um, in my point of view. From my point of view, you know, being able to measure things on return on ad spend, being able to actually you know create great content, build that relationship with people, and actually take them on a journey towards purchase, it is you know absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, Google's ad products are also you know really really strong. You would argue that you don't necessarily get the same level of brand building through AdWords. However, they can be super, super effective. And, you know, when we're talking to clients, it's really about distributing that risk. Um, a lot of marketers you'll find are very romantic about what platform they are specialized in. And, you know, they'll go on for an hour at how you should be investing more in SEO. Now, for me, it's about, you know, being very realistic and going, right, we've got all these channels that can be working for us. Where should we allocate our spend? Depending on what returns we're getting, that's where the money should go, rather than going, we're only going to target these platforms. You know, realistically, you can reach pretty much the same people across all of them, and it depends how you actually leverage those and how they, you know, um, facilitate your actual marketing plan uh, and messaging from that. Yeah. Now, this is an immersive tech podcast, so let's go back to immersive tech. So here's a quandary. Um, immersive tech is often about experiences. It's about you know losing yourself in the moment, whether that's in AR or VR. It could involve headsets or elaborate displays. How does one market that in the social media world where attention spans are shorter? By your very nature, you're probably scrolling through, through Twitter or, or Instagram. How do you capture the richer experiences of a deep immersive tech experience in a marketing sense on these flatter platforms? I think it, it, it depends on what your goal is. And so if you look at some of the brilliant work that you know, Laduma have done um, with regards to some of the projection stuff at, at road shows, you know, at, um, or trade shows, um, you know, I would look at that and, and the role of social media can then amplify that activation. And so it's not only about targeting the 5,000 highly targeted perfect professionals at that trade show, it's about then translating and amplifying that same message through social and digital media after it. So you're, you know, you're not just hoping that those 5,000 people are your potential customers. You know for a fact that there's another you know, 50, 100,000 people across the world that will also be interested in, in what product you're selling. So I think it's about, for me, integrating what the, the kind of scope of the, the project is um, and, and kind of reacting accordingly. You know, I think some of my favorite campaigns that I've ever been able to execute have really been able to take people from offline and transfer them online because so tell me about some of your favorite campaigns that you've worked on um uh, i mean from my sort of social chain days there's there's two that come to mind um we made up a fake footballer called rex echo got that to trend um worldwide um arsenal's preface office had like thousands and thousands of calls there was hundreds of thousands of tweets about it 440,000 search results of rex echo uh, the reason why it was called rex echo is that was an anagram of a trade show we were speaking at called soccer x um, and that's just something that, you know, uh, anytime I do a talk, uh, that still gets a, a great reaction. And um, yeah, that was and, and so the client there was 
the, the client there was was also social. You media. just wanted to it sort of show a, how it can be um, done. A social media flex to sort of show the power of you know understanding time relevant content, understanding how to actually distribute that message across social media, and how to really sort of translate that message in. The other is we did um, a campaign which was um, when Zlatan Ibrahimovic transferred to Manchester United. We did this sort of billboard in um, Manchester, which accidentally was above the Manchester City store, which which said Manchester, welcome to Zlatan obviously playing on his sort of arrogance which um, you know he certainly has in abundance oh, fantastic um, did you help him with the LA Galaxy move where he did the advert we didn't that was full page advert in the LA Times saying you're welcome that was all him oh. um, you know I think he's but inspired uh, by maybe your work earlier on we, we would like to think so you know that would be a cool thing for the CV to say we, we did anything that inspired his latter and that would be that would be pretty cool but you know I think when you do something on the ground, I think, you know, you react to it and there's sort of more social currency, you know, I think in the, the digital age, anyone can do a Photoshop, Photoshop mock-up, and, but actually seeing something, physically seeing it there and you know it there, it happened, you know, I always say it's the difference between a favourite and a retweet, you know, if that's a mock-up and a Photoshop, it could be something really funny, but you go, ah, oh, that's quite funny and you like it, whereas if that actually happened, that stunt occurred or that, you know, immersive technology thing happened and you go, that was actually real, you know, you're more sort of emotionally invested and then you're actually more willing to share that. And I think that's something that can be really, really powerful for brands. Yeah, so that sort of leads into a question I was going to ask about. Are you worried that because people's attention spans are so short now and everyone's double screening or triple screening, is it all everything just becoming a bit ephemeral and meaningless and everything's gimmicky and stunty? Um, I think it can be. I, I think there's arguments for both sides, actually. I think, you know, um, there there's so much, you know, we talk about how our attention spans are super, super short, but then Netflix documentaries have never been more popular. And so, That's you know, very good there's there, all these social media marketers and, you know, um, psychology experts will say that we now have shorter attention spans than goldfish and they'll have the data to prove that, you know. I will mindlessly scroll through my phone and if you said, can you remember the last 10 things you liked? I have not a clue, not even a clue what platform they were on. However, you know, I can absolutely tell you, you know, all the different things of a documentary I watched last night or, you know, I've binge watched hundreds of shows this year and I am definitely bought into long form content. So I definitely think it, you know, platforms do matter and how you actually consume that content and where you consume it. But um, I definitely think it's more important to have a, a longer term content strategy it's it's much more difficult to sort of put out a great tweet or put out a good video and get great organic traction you know you need to work a lot harder to you know get people's attention and keep it and that's why you know a lot of the things we talk about is is really mapping out that journey and so you know microsoft just doing one activation is a bit pointless because it's a activation that's lost in this world of content whereas if that's an activation that you know, engages a specific 5,000 people or 10,000 people, and then you're able to take their data that they willingly give you, their email addresses, and follow up with an integrated campaign, you know, maybe invite them to another event. You know, you can really start to see that journey and how you can build those touch points and build that relationship with those consumers. That, I think, is really powerful, rather than just hoping, cool, we're going to create some good content and see what works. So that's your jab, jab... Right hook. Right yes. hook approach. Yes. Multiple contact points. And that's how you turn interest into sales acquisition. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I wish it was a bit more of an exact science, but there's data which, you know, it comes from e-commerce data, but it's stuff we've replicated across cost per lead for wealth clients, from a cost per install for, um, you know, app companies um, and 
um, you know, cost per acquisition for e-commerce companies. But basically, this data suggests that 2% of sales are made on that first initial touch point. So for you to see someone for the first time ever, see their watch, see a product for the first time, you know, it's not very likely you're going to buy it. It has to be a phenomenal product for someone to just see it, buy it, has to be the right price point, you have to have the right credit cards on you, you have to have good enough internet connection, you know, it's not very likely. Um, and this data also suggests that on the second touch point, that's where 3% of sales are made. So if I see you again in two weeks, see the same watch you've got on right now and go, do you know what, that's a beautiful watch, I'm slightly more likely to buy it. But what's super, super interesting is that between the fifth and 12th touch point, that's where 80% of sales are made. And so if you're just trying to take a you know, holistic data-driven approach, you want to communicate with people between five and 12 times before you ask them to do anything. You know, really build that relationship with people, build that brand equity, build that social equity, you know, engage with them, make them feel something towards your brand. And then when the time is right, that's when you can start to do some sort of clever sequencing and clever content marketing to drive them towards purchase rather than just going, hey, here's a 20% discount. I hope you buy it. You know, that's never going to work. Yeah. Now, I don't want to keep going about age, but you're relatively young. Uh, but even in the time that you've been working, technologies, platforms have changed immeasurably. Absolutely. And probably will do at an even faster rate over the next three to five years. Um, how does one position yourself to make sure that you can take advantage of everything, including this sort of first mover principle you talked about earlier on as well? I think it's a thirst for knowledge and a you know um, a com you know I'm very competitive sporting background and so you know you want to be at the forefront of things because it gives you an advantage and so uh, you know I think it's it's tough to always be first but at least you know constantly be reading the right publications constantly be you know understanding how content can evolve or how the platforms are evolving or what opportunities might be around the corner because um, you know I, I'm super fortunate if I had gone to university and wanted to be a lawyer. I could be the most intelligent person in the world, but a lawyer who's worked for 10 more years than me will have read more books, will have more case studies, will have experienced these things. Whereas in social media, you, you don't get that. You know, We were some of the pioneers behind some of these stunts and behind some of these viral activations. And yes, that gives us an advantage for now, but it, it's, you know, it's negligible in, in a couple of years' time because the platforms will be so different. And so I think you know, having that mindset to constantly improving, constantly staying on top of things, taking things that you've seen from other people and then implementing them in your own way is really exciting because I think that, you know, breeds um, competition and therefore, hopefully, there's going to be a better product with the outcome. Give me an example of where something's gone horribly wrong because it must have at some For point. For me? Yeah, oh, on um, a social media sense. Yes, uh, I won't be able to name the brand, but... Um, you know, I do a lot of sort of performance marketing and there was this e-commerce business that was um, selling um, a subscription service, um, quite a new subscription service. They'd got some, um, basically some information um, which suggested that you needed to change a certain something um, every three months. So they wanted to build this kind of Harry's-esque um, business, which was upfront for a product and then £10 every three months for the you know replenishing of this product yeah. basically um, and what they did they were using this agency and they threw 20 grand a month at just paid social so they'd spent 40 grand within two months um, their cost of the product uh, the RRP on the product was £30 and their cost per acquisition was £70 which is not sustainable no. and so they came to me they said Tim can you do any better you know me trying to back myself going Yes, I'm pretty sure I can do better. <laughs> this is yeah. going to end well, this story. I like it. 
you know, pretty confident I, we can definitely do better. And, um, you know, we, we spend, I think, 10 grand over the, the next month. And did we do better? Yes. We got the CPA from 70 pounds down to 50 pounds, but still a 50 pound CPA, you know, you can't sustain that if your product actual RP is 30 pounds, you know, you're never gonna have a sustainable business off the back of that. And the reason, you know, one, you know, being able to look back on that as a case study now, the great thing is, what they didn't do, they didn't build a community, they didn't invest in content, they didn't front load that investment and build a relationship with these users. They literally just threw money at performance marketing and hoped that it would convert. And that's not how things happen, you know. They needed to sort of utilize that money in better ways. They could have, you know, doesn't didn't have to be a huge influencer marketing spend, but they could have, you know, influenced a specific demographic through the use of other media, they could have, um, you know, educated people about that proposition better. They could have invested in more content to actually really explain that. And they probably needed more time. You know, someone's not going to change their brand of this health brand overnight. You know, they they were going into a market that was not necessarily very competitive, but something that people don't invest a lot of money in. And I think there was a you know product market fit and the education of that market plus you know a pretty dodgy marketing strategy was means that it was a project that you know i definitely failed on but at the end of the day you know you can as long as you take learnings from that um you know i can look at that you know kind of um at least has helped me on, on my further career have you had any stunts that have gone wrong um We've got, yes, um, we were able to save it though. So back at Social Chain, um, we actually pioneered the top nine branded live streams of all time. Um, the most of which got 1.2 million comments in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. On that one, um, basically what we were doing, every time someone commented Yeezy, um, a balloon pumped up. And then the last person to comment Yeezy when the balloon burst won a pair of shoes that were inside the balloon. And we'd set this up in the, the office in Manchester um, you know, multiple bits of gaffer tape over this huge balloon, it's sort of six foot by six foot, um, and the gaffer tape broke, and halfway through the stream, the balloon went out, but didn't burst, and we had to re-gaffer tape this balloon to make sure it filled back up again, so the stream ended up being twice as long, um, and, you know, the good thing was we got more comments and got the world record, but, yeah, that, you know, was a bit of a, a kerfuffle. The other was we, we had to, um, we had a boohoo shoe in a massive block of ice, um, and every time I think someone commented a fire emoji, we would try and you know melt this um, block of ice. Uh, and we were using various different hair dryers and heaters to sort of make the ice um, you know melt as fast as possible. And we actually blew all the electrics in the building, um, which mean the ice wasn't going to melt. And so what we ended up having to do, we had to go round into an adjoining office, heat up a kettle and pour boiling water oh. on this ice cube to actually get it to melt, um, which fortunately enough you can't see on the stream, but you know that's just one of those moments where you have to you know, think on your feet and fix the problem, and Fantastic. fortunately we were able to do that. Very good. So look, final question, the standard final question on this podcast, which is uh, what technological development um, will change everything about the world we work in? Uh, in this space, 5G, without a doubt, you know, the opportunities to really start rolling out AR and VR activations and, and products to the masses, I think is going to be really, really cool. You know, um, from everything I've heard anyway, um, and certainly not a, an expert, that, you know, the difference in speeds um, just on a mobile device is going to be absolutely massive and imperative to be able to do so many more cool things. And I think that's 
super super excited because you know there's already places in the UK that 5G's rolled out to. Yeah, very good. King of social, Tim Hyde. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to The Reality Show. If you enjoyed listening, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. You can also find us on social media at Reality Show Pod. Thank you.